And open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 121. Psalm 121, we're in a series on timeless questions from the Psalms. And this is the Word of God. I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade in your, on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by night or the moon by night. The Lord will keep from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad this morning to have your word before us. Father, as we are marching to Zion, these are uh, familiar words from this psalm. And so we pray that as we look at it this morning, uh, afresh and new, that your spirit gives understanding, Father, of how this applies, how this shapes the way we live every day, uh, the hope that it gives us. So work, we pray, by your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. John Calvin sits in his study, and the great theologian and pastor is preparing to preach on Psalm 121. But as he, he reads the question in Psalm verse 1, he, he's, he is, I'm going to use technical theological jargon here, he's really ticked off at the psalmist. Uh, and uh, here's what he says. He's talking like an unbeliever to ask where his help comes from. I mean, what's the meaning of the psalmist looking around for help? And not looking to God. So how does Calvin resolve his frustration? And what does that say to us on our journey through life? Where does my help come from? So let's go to the text and see. We'll start with the situation. I lift up my eyes to the hills. The psalmist is going on a journey to Jerusalem. He's probably going with fellow pilgrims. uh, And uh, it's one of the three great feasts of the year, Passover or Pentecost or the Day of Atonement. Since Jerusalem sits on top of that Mount Moriah mountain range, one must look up, and as they travel, they sing. Now, we do that, or we used to. Uh, back in the Stone Age, when I was a child, and cars did not have radios, um, also not CD players, cassette players, or 8-track for that matter, uh, uh, for... Uh, for music, for entertainment, to uh, pass the time as we traveled, what we do? We would sing, you know, row, row, row your boat, good travel song. Uh, she'll be coming around the mountain when she comes, over the hills and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. Or if you're on a school field trip and you really want to pass the time, that classic 99 bottles of Dr. Pepper on the wall, 99 bottles of Dr. Pepper, you take one down, you pass it around 98. There's 100 verses. Uh, great thing for a school field trip. Anyway. Uh, well, on their journey, the, uh, the Israelites sang Psalms 120 to 134, what we call the Psalms of Ascent, uh, ascending, going up to Jerusalem for worship. Jesus himself would have sung these songs as a child when he went with his family to worship. We imitate the pattern of that in our own worship. We sing a song of ascent as we gather together here. This morning, today was it was he leadeth me. So Psalm 121, it's a traveling song. 
driving up in the hills, into the mountains, curvy trails and paths. And he's looking for strength to face the dangers that await them around each turn. Remember, thieves and robbers were very, very prominent around Jerusalem. That's the setting for Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan. And so here in the first verse, we're confronted with the question. Now, let me just say, sometimes this is taken out of context. And the reason is, if you grew up with the King James Version of the Bible, verse 1 sounds more like a declarative sentence than it does a question. Uh, It went this way, I lift up mine eyes into the hills, from whence cometh my help. In other words, it seems to suggest that we draw a, a sense of strength from the hills, from the mountains. The hills and mountains that God himself made. And, uh, and I tell you, I'm from West Virginia. That's sort of appealing to me. The mountains have their, their majesty. They have their sense of strength. Maybe you might go beyond the Blue Ridge Mountains. Think of the Rockies if you've seen them or even the Alps. Um, but when the word whence is actually almost always a question. And so the psalmist is decidedly not looking to the mountains for strength. He's contemplating the journey and the risk that he uh, and his fellow worshippers face as they're going up into the hills to worship God in Jerusalem. Now, we don't have those Old Testament thief feasts anymore because the reality of what they went up to celebrate is found in Jesus Christ. Those feasts all pointed to the finished work of Christ on the cross so he would redeem us from our sins. That's his saving work here that they're going up to celebrate. What we celebrate every week as we come together as the people of God. And so as they go on this journey, uh, the journey for this, really for us, is a background of our journey through life. Um, these Psalms, 121-34, are the subject of Eugene Peterson's book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. Uh, these are Psalms of Discipleship. Songs about uh, our grace-fueled journey towards holiness. And so what concerns us today really in our journey is not some drive we face probably, but just what do we face this week? You know, some of you know right now, it's going to be a hard week or weeks. Maybe it's because of health. Maybe it's family issues. Maybe it's uh, things on the job or just some conflict you find yourself caught up in. As we want to know, where's my help going to come from this week? Where's it going to come from this month or in the months ahead? And we as a church family are likewise on a journey. We take it together as the people of God. Our youth are an important part of that journey this weekend, uh, getting together for that further retreat. Never underestimate the impact of youth retreats have on the, the, the spiritual lives of our, of our youth, uh, their daily walk with Christ. And of course, another special time for us in the life of the church is we, we, we make the journey back up to the sanctuary to worship. So what I don't want us to miss here is this. The fact that the psalmist asked the question strongly suggests that we need help for the journey. David Livingston, the great missionary to uh, Africa, thought that as he prepared for his first journey. He sat down with his father and sister for worship just before he left in 1840, and this is the psalm that his father read. He knew he would need help for the journey. 
What was the promise in the Declaration of Truth this morning? Uh, that unto him was able to keep us from stumbling, to keep us from falling. He says we need keeping, we need watching, we need protection, because there's much that might cause us to fall on our journey through life. Uh, so, where does the help come from? What's the answer? Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord. The psalmist's help is from the covenant God, Yahweh. The God who saved them out of slavery through the blood of the Lamb placed on the doorpost of the house. Blood that points to the coming cross of Jesus Christ. So what's his qualification though here according to the psalmist? Who made heaven and earth? The psalmist turns to creation and applies the doctrine of God as the sovereign creator uh, to the need uh, and to his problem. I'm going to paraphrase something Derek Thomas wrote about this. He said, what calms my fears? What is it that encourages me along the way as I'm facing hostility and difficulty? It is the fact that the sovereign creator of heaven and earth is with me. The one who made the earth, the one who made the planets, the one who made all the universe and all its macrocosm and microcosm and all its unbounded complexity. The God who said, let there be light and there was light. That God is with me. That God is the source of my help. The Bible wants us to draw security from the truth that God is the creator of all things. Even those hills which he saw at that point as a problem. Hence our, our call this morning, our call to worship this morning, affirm the same truth. The call to worship that we used uh, is, the, is the call that John Calvin almost always used for worship. It's what we always use when we start a funeral service here. Uh, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So what is it today that we imagine is a problem for God? What issue in my life is a concern that cannot be put right, that cannot be resolved by the sovereign creator who made absolutely everything that there is? And Mark's gospel twice uh, talks about the storms on the Sea of Galilee. One time Jesus is asleep in the boat, you may remember. The other time Jesus comes walking on the water. And he's able to still the storm with his voice and walk on the water because he's the creator of the water. And he's the one who's our source for whatever challenge we face. When God's people were headed into exile, Isaiah reminds them of what the source of their strength will be, what's available to them. And, and listen to it, he roots it in creation. Isaiah 40, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Check out your teenagers when they come back this week. Um, but they who wait for the Lord 
shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Again, we need to find strength and hope in the reality that God is the creator of everything that is. His power is on display. Now, at this point in the psalm, the psalmist moves from this first person testimony, if you will, and he goes talking in the third person about God. And we're just explaining this is why God is such a help for us. It's in the rest of the psalm. Now, you understand the key word for that is a word that's found six times. The ESV gets it right. Six times you have the word keep. Some other translations switch the word around a little bit to watch or that sort of thing to try to vary the words. Uh, but I think that misses the emphasis here. Uh, in verse 5, uh, it tells us the Lord is your keeper. Um, and this may be helpful to you or at least interesting or not. Uh, in the Hebrew text, the word keeper there in verse 5 There are an equal number of syllables in the Hebrew before that and an equal number of syllables after that. Same number. Uh, And that's a sort of a Hebrew way of of emphasizing the central point, which is keeper. The Lord's our keeper. Uh, And it doesn't just mean something you you keep for safety in your drawer. You know, I think I'll I'll keep that and and you put it away. But it's an active word. It means keeping in the sense of of guarding of protecting, of watching. So so what does it look like when God keeps us? Well, first, he says, perhaps you're on a slippery trail that you might find in the mountains. What's he say? He will not let your foot be moved. If you're familiar with the NIV, practicing King James, not slip. I mean, have you ever taken a young child or a senior citizen, perhaps, by the hand when crossing a road or a busy parking lot? Why do you do that? Well, one, to make sure they go the right direction, I suppose, but, but also keep them from falling, don't let them slip. You know, if you've ever walked along the edge of the Grand Canyon or Tallulah Gorge, uh, and, and uh, any steep banker for that matter, you've become aware of what would happen if, if your foot would slip and you would fall. And so what we discover here is the reason that we do not slip as we face life's challenges is God. He doesn't let us slip. He doesn't let our foot be moved. Even as we hold someone's hand to hold them up, God holds our hand to hold us up. He knows our steps. He knows each step each of us will take this week. Whether it's through mud puddles or malls, through heartbreak or through challenges. Second, we note that God stays up all night for us. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel, what? Will neither slumber nor sleep. When our sons were teenagers, I thought it was helpful if I would step and watch over them while they were out till they got home at night. So I would, I would, uh, I would do that. Well, sort of. They would tell you I had to have to fall asleep on the sofa until they came home that night. But anyway, uh, the backdrop here is probably Elijah on Mount Carmel. You remember when the so-called gods did not respond to the priests of Baal? Remember what Elijah did? He made fun of them. He said, you know, they've gone to sleep. You know, they're they're, they're doing something else. And, And they're doing all this frenzied dancing to try to get their attention. Indeed, their gods were known for their resting, for their sleep, for their inattention. 
uh, to, uh, to the people. And so they went to these desperate measures. But here we find out our God's different. Our God doesn't fall asleep. Our God stays up all night for us. He's always watching over us. He's the God who sees. He misses absolutely nothing. Stories told of a poor woman in the Middle East who, uh, years ago, she came to the Sultan one day and asked for compensation for the loss of some property. Well, how did you lose it? asked the Sultan. And she said, Well, I, I fell asleep and a robber entered my house. He said, Well, why did you fall asleep? She said, I fell asleep because I believed you were awake. The Sultan was so delighted he ordered she be compensated. Her trust was in what she had hoped was an awake Sultan. Well, the good news for us is God is always awake. He's never asleep. Uh, He's always watching over us, always caring for us. He is always our shade. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by night or the moon by night. Now, the word shade is in a lot of the ancient covenant documents, treaties. So it had a real meaning for those who would read it in the psalm. To be in the shade, as you know, is to be so close to something or someone that you're in the shadow. You know, Peter Pan lost his shadow temporarily, but God, what? God never loses his shadow. And we can rest in the shade of it day and night. Of course, symbolically, there in the Middle East, the, the scorching sun of the day, that makes sense. But you say, well, what about this night? Um, not exactly, but some of the ancient people did believe that the moon gave off power that would cause diseases or, quite frankly, make you go crazy. That's where the word lunatic comes from, by the way. Uh, and the point the psalmist is making is, all night, no matter the dangers, all day, no matter the dangers, God is watching over us. Several years ago, late one night, a man in rural Mississippi was showing his pastor around the county airport. This switch lights up the airport, the runway. Let's say there's a plane in distress up there. I would throw this switch on and turn on these searchlights. And he flipped the switch. And when it lit up, suddenly a a small plane materialized right out of the darkness. And so the pastor and his friend watched in amazement as the plane landed... And coming out of the plane was Franklin Graham. Uh, Billy Graham's son, of course, founder of Samaritan's Purse. That's why we have the shoeboxes here uh, now. And uh, the pilot had been flying Franklin to, to school in Texas when the plane's electrical system shut down. And there they were in the Mississippi sky with no, uh, no lights, no radio, no means of guidance. Yet then suddenly, out of nowhere, the search beam came on and got into their, to their landing strip. What a lucky break. Wow. Just, just then, think about that. How lucky that was. Well, no. Ruth Graham told the story, and she said when they left early that morning, Billy Graham had prayed for God to protect and guide the pilot and his son. And God did. Finally, we want to see the all-encompassing. God's keeping us as all-encompassing. Verse 7. The Lord will keep from all evil. 
He will keep your life. Now, this is an amazing promise. God will keep us from all evil. Or stated positively, it's the other side of the coin, He will keep our, our life, our whole life. Now, what's that mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean God's promising us a carefree life without struggles, without challenges, without problems. Rather, the consistent message of the Scripture is that God will keep us whatever we face. Isaiah 43 says God will keep us when we walk through the fire, when we walk through the flood, not around it. God's providence, God's watch care then frees us up to take risks for the kingdom. As we plan how God will use each of us to carry out uh, the Great Commission here in Chestnut Mountain and, and around the world, we can know God's going to care for us. He cares for the Moors in Germany. He cares for the Elliots in Bulgaria. He cares for the Stevens in Thailand. He cares for Emily in Africa. Uh, if we resume, when we do, resume mission journeys, he'll care for us. And, of course, that includes right here in northeast Georgia. When we're in God's will, whether we're in Bangkok or in Lula, uh, we're secure. Uh, he will watch over us as we risk loving this community and reaching out here to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we also see God's all-encompassing care in verse 8. The Lord will keep your coming out, going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. When we go out, when we come in, He's always keeping us. From this time on, from right now, and forever. Again, the point's not a perfect life. But the point is, we are going to make it. Let me slightly paraphrase how Eugene Peterson sums it up. The Christian life's not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterruptedly with our Lord, nor a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we compare blue medals and gold, uh, blue ribbons and gold medals with others who have made it to the winner's circle. The Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on, breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores, our citizens are the same governments, pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline, fear the same dangers, subject to the same pressures, get the same distresses, and are buried in the same ground. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we're preserved by God. We know we're accompanied by God. We know we're ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure, what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from all evil. He will keep our life. Romans 8, 38 and 9 helps to flesh that out for us. Why? Remember what Paul writes? I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor presence nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. We're able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This all goes back and is rooted in the gracious and merciful love of God. 
On day six of the trouble-plagued mission of Apollo 13, the astronauts needed to make a, uh, a critical course correction in order to return to Earth. So to conserve power for that correction, they had to shut down the onboard com- computer that steered the craft for 39 seconds. So the question became, how will they steer? And astronaut Jim Lovell determined that if they could keep a fixed point in space through their tiny window, then he could steer the craft manually. Of course, that focal point turned out to be their destination, the planet Earth. And so for 39 agonizing seconds, Lovell focused on keeping the Earth in view. By not losing sight of his reference point, the three astronauts avoided disaster and made it home safely. We face a lot of opposition. Romans 8 tells us that, Jude tells us that, Isaiah, and so does this psalm. That's the opposition we face as Jesus carries out his ongoing ministry through us to the ends of the earth. It's the opposition we face is by his grace, he's making us each day to be more like Jesus. A journey that's a long obedience in the same direction. The task we have in the journey is to keep our eyes fixed firmly on God. Because his eyes are fixed firmly on us. That's his grace. That's his mercy. So what about us? How did, how did John Calvin resolve his frustration with Psalm 121? Probably figured it out. He said, writes this, The psalmist is reflecting a condition which is common to believers. That even though we know... Our help is in the Lord. Even though we know the Lord is our source of security, when danger surrounds us, we tend to look here and there and everywhere. But the Lord for our security. And so in God's kindness, he has the psalmist ask this very question so we may ponder where our trust really is and make sure that it's securely placed in the only place of confidence. So friends, this is a psalm designed to build our trust in the Lord. As believers, we need to internalize the truth that God's our keeper, that God is our help through everything in life. Why? Because each and every day we continue on this journey that will never end. And we need God's help. We, need, we, we can ask where the help comes from. And every day we can be assured from this psalm that it comes from the Lord when we face a troubled, angry world. So I ask you today, can you say that God's your help? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? If not, perhaps you now understand more clearly why it is we love Jesus. Why we delight to live in His caring love and why we delight to share that love with others. If you want to know more about it, please see me following the service. I'll close with a story from Ligon Duncan that comes, with a, comes to us from the end of the 19th century. Uh, a passenger ship is sailing from Liverpool, England, uh, to New York. Somewhere in the Mid-Atlantic, the ship inquire, encounters a, a squall of wind, and it knocks the ship sideways. And it's the dead of night. And many of the passengers get up and they fear the worst. And among them is the, the little eight-year-old daughter of the captain. 
And so she asks, she gets out of bed, she says, what's the matter? And someone explains to her about the squall of wind that's knocked the boat sideways and, and caused some alarm. And so she said, well, is my father on deck? And they said, well, yes, your, your father's on deck. And she turned and got back in bed and went back to sleep. The storms that we face on this journey, they're strong. But our Father is on deck. And we can rest. We can sleep in His gracious, merciful care. Indulge me, I want to just give you a slight rewrite of the hymn we started with today. He keepeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught, whate'er I do, where I be, still tis God's hand that keepeth me. Sometimes mid scenes of deepest gloom, sometimes where Eden's bowers bloom, by waters calm or troubled sea, still tis his hand that keepeth me. Lord, I would clasp a hand in mine, nor ever murmur, nor repine, content, whatever lot I see, since tis my God that keepeth me. And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory won, in death's cold wave I will not flee, since God through Jordan keepeth me. He keepeth me, he keepeth me, by his own hand he keepeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he keepeth me. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible reality. You keep us. You are our help. You are our shade. Father, nothing in our lives is out of your control. Father, you watch over our going and our coming. Father, you don't let our foot slip. Keep our steps firm. You keep us. So, Father, where will our help come from this week? Father, we, we've read this. Lord, by your Spirit, drive it into our hearts, we pray. Convince us of it, we pray. Lord, watch over us this week, we pray. If there's somebody here that doesn't know the joy and the delight of being able to say, The Lord's my help the creator of the heavens and the earth. Father, show them your son, Jesus, today we pray. Show them the cross, his death, his love, and his life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.